1: to thank our sponsors over at OncoSpark for designing a platform that streamlines and standardizes the authorization process. As we know, the barriers for practices and patients due to prior authorizations are a clinical and a clerical issue. This new tool, AuthParency, optimizes staff and resources while decreasing the time that a patient must wait. This platform will seamlessly integrate with your practice management system and your electronic health record, alerting you to expiring authorizations or order changes. AuthParency's reports can also be used for internal development, as well as payer and pharma accountability. Direct insurance verification and specialty pharmacy hub enrollment are standard modules in the platform too. So jump on over to Ongospark.com. That's dot O-N-C-O-S-P-A-R-K dot kcom and look at their technology solutions. We're also going to put the information in our show notes. Schedule your demo for off today and get started with this amazing tool. Welcome to the
0: Life as a Coder Podcast Series, brought to you by Ozark Institute. An initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company discussing your life as a medical coder, offering tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us
1: every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara and I'm your host today. Our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank our sponsors over at Ozark Institute. Ozark Institute is an initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company. We're here with episode eight of season five. I wanted to jump on and talk about another specialty that... Is somewhat new for me, but super exciting. As the director of education, Oncospark, I'm always looking to talk about the industry, those specialties that are on the minds of everyone. And one of those specialties that's super important is oncology. So I brought in one of my friends that I have here in the oncology space. Stephanie Thabarge has over 20 years of experience in healthcare, working in oncology, evaluation and management, education, compliance, and the list goes on. She is the Compliance Manager for Private Oncology Hematology Group in Southern Maine and New Hampshire, uh, the New England Cancer Specialist, and she's also the owner of Seacoast Health Compliance Consultation, LLC. They provide auditing and education services. She also serves as a Member Relations Officer for the AAPC 2022-2025 National Advisory Board and of course has previously served as a national advisory board member uh, from 2018 to 2021, actively involved in her local chapters. So stay tuned for my interview with Stephanie Thibarge.
2: The team at OncoSpark offers a unique opportunity to grow your career in the business of medicine through their virtual specialty conference series. The reality of attending conferences in person is constantly changing. We give you the opportunity to learn virtually from industry leaders in top specialties, such as obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, cardiology, oncology, and orthopedics. We present timely industry topics to help you navigate regulatory guidelines, best practices in coding, billing, and practice management from the experts in the field. Whether you are interested in becoming the go-to expert in your field, provide additional knowledge for your education program, or you're ready to dive into other specialties, we have you covered. We hope to see you at our 2022 events.
1: Well, as I mentioned, I have my special guest, Stephanie Thebarge. Did I pronounce your name correct, Stephanie? Did. Awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you at the Life is a Coder podcast. And of course, we met each other at HealthCon in 2021. Such a great experience. It was my first time at HealthCon. And how was your experience?
0: It was great. I Yeah, it wasn't my first time at HealthCon, but it definitely uh, was my first time speaking uh, in front of people, so as far as other than either local chapters and things like that, so so that was exciting.
1: It was, and I was, of course, looking forward to being in D.C. this year as a speaker again, but I'm really grateful that we still have the opportunity to at least continue and speak to the attendees. Are you speaking again this year?
0: I am. I'm speaking again this year, yes.
1: Excellent. Excellent. And so um, I, of course, love what I hear from you and see from you in the oncology space. Currently, I am in a role as education director and director of education and coding at OncoSpark. And so a dedicated oncology company. And so I wanted to kind of reach out to different ones in the industry who are in the oncology space and just kind of talk about oncology because it's such a great specialty I'm from the world of orthopedics, so I'm familiar with specialties that kind of touch so many areas and so many levels, right? And oncology is one of those that has so many levels to it. So before we get into that, I want to let my listeners kind of know a little bit more about you. So tell me a little bit about how long you've been in healthcare, first of all. Uh,
0: Yeah, so it's been about 20 plus years. (laughs) I can't believe it. it's just quick. <laughs> I keep thinking back. I'm like, oh, it's now, now we just put a plus on it. Twenty plus.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Same here. It's crazy. Yeah. plus.
0: Exactly. So
1: yeah. So great. Well, um, so then within your in your career, you probably have had many roles to get you to where you are now. So, what different roles in the revenue cycle have you had the privilege of?
0: So yeah, I started out at the front desk, where a lot of our I'm sure listeners uh, started as well. So we, I started at the front desk. I moved into billing uh, when a a position that was not too long after that, because I had done front desk at other places before. But in this particular oncology practice, um, I moved right into billing, started learning how to payment post, started learning how to reconcile payments, AR, um, charge entry. Uh, Then I got my... In 2009, I got my CPC um, and really started um, auditing and looking specifically at um, oncology and EM auditing. And that that proceeding with getting another certification after that. Um, and yeah, so really, I've been in a lot of different roles. Um, from the auditing, I it was basically a coding compliance specialist at that point. Um, not so much billing specialist, but coding compliance. Um, Then I moved into a compliance manager role where I oversaw basically every um, AR, all the AR in my department and wrote policies for our charge entry side of things. And then I do credentialing and contracting uh, with the payers. Um so I kind of feel like I I I know all the roles authorizations all of them I know I I I done them all I think so cuz you have to you have to know everything so that you are better well-rounded person and well-rounded individual to know how it affects everyone um a drug
1: <laughs> Absolutely and I love that attitude and that's one of the things that when I You know, people ask me where they should go and what they should do do first. And, you know, I don't want to have a simple answer for them, but I really just try to say, you know, try to do as many things as you can. I've always been that person, maybe yourself as well. I don't turn down a a, uh, opportunity or a challenge. Right. So for me personally, like same same thing. I was started as a receptionist. I kind of began my role in radiology and then I went into orthopedics after that. I took on this, this challenge um, to learn a specialty that I'd never done before. And it became my love. It became what I did for over 10 years. Uh, And then I went into general surgery and other ones, but I always like, I don't want to just be in one box. I want to be able to like be multi-specialty and learn different things. And, and I also have had the chance to learn credentialing and contracting and learn the whole revenue cycle. And now as Alco Spark, there's so many things that I didn't know and or maybe didn't have time to know. <laughs> like I feel like they were there always, but and I wanted to know them, right? Maybe you it's like there's only so many hours in the day, right? You just Yes. Yes. I wish I had more hours in the day, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. So now I'm getting into this world where I don't have to do like you know, production coding every day where I get to focus on education, which I love to teach and kind of share, right, that knowledge. Um, But learning things like digging into the Medicare fee schedule and digging into things outside of the the role of just coding and and seeing the big picture. Like you said, it's so important. And within that big picture in oncology, I'm learning myself just this whole world, um, the world of pharma, the world of radiation oncology, how all of the areas of oncology come together. And there's this whole industry just for oncology. And it's amazing. So many people I've met. And maybe you yourself yeah. have gotten the chance to do this. And it's it's a great specialty. I love it. So we have the surgical, we have the medical, and we have radiation oncology. That's just, you know, three areas I picked um just to kind of dissect maybe just a little bit. And we're not here to give you guys like a a coding class here. It's not what this is about we're here just to talk about the world of oncology, so you know really the ins and outs of like what you could expect, and if you decide to go into the specialty, or you decide you want to reach out to consultants, you know here at Oncospark or with Stephanie, that you can kind of have a background, right? So surgical onc, medical onc, radiation oncology. If you could just give me like the the brief overview, like the Cliffs Notes version <laughs> of these different areas, what makes them different from each other?
0: Yeah, so um, surgical oncology, um, which I don't do, but that uh, again, I have to know it because you have. Have to know every piece of it, right. um, and how it could affect you um, or other practices uh, that you, that like I'm like I said, I might consult with. Um, so, surgical oncology is when you first get that diagnosis of cancer, um, and they usually refer you right to a surgical oncologist to see if they can cut it out, basically. So that that time that those people are the ones that like if it's a breast cancer, they're going to d- they're going to do that surgery, they're going to remove that cancer. Um, and then after a lot of times after or prior to, they'll, re- they'll refer you to a radiation oncologist. So um, the surgical oncologist and radiation oncologist kind of work because a lot of times they have to shrink that tumor down um, and radiation. That's why they use radiation because they got to shrink it down. Or perhaps that maybe they can't do it surgically, interventional. They have to do it um, via radiation. So again, that's how those two kind of work. And then on the med onc- oncology, how that comes into place is, is that after, if they can remove it or they can shrink it, or if they can't do any of that, they might refer them for drug therapy. So the so medical oncology is like actually do giving them the chemotherapy. Or they're getting they go on a um, a lot of times with like breast cancer, they have to be out five years. They have to be on different kind of um, hormonal um, drugs that that basically you know protect them so they don't get a recurrence. Uh, so they will never they don't it doesn't come back. So that's what we want. We want it to go away and never come back again. That's with cancer. So, so that's kind of how the three they kind of interrelate. So surgical they cut it out, radiation they shrink it down and and medonc me- they uh, they'll give
1: you drugs. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, next so radiation oncology. Now, what do we see when we get into that realm like how is that a little bit different? I know there's only a handful of codes in radiation oncology, but it's so complex in itself. So how is that what where does that come into play?
0: So radiation oncology, yeah. So that's another one. Again, there's a lot of different practices out there. Some have uh, radonc and medonc interrelated, some some don't, some have you go to the hospital to or to an outpatient facility to get these, um, to get radonk. But radonc is specifically um how it works is it's targeting therapy, right? So it's targeting that cancer in different ways. Um there are facilities that will Depending upon the machine that you have um, and how the radiation is delivered, uh, I use I want to use uh, my you know my own personal experience. My father had cancer. Uh, he had to go in and have radiation where they targeted they they gave him a little tattoo on his leg they They put the radiation there to shrink it down. That's what they were working on. So he had um he had a specific radiation based upon the machine that uh, that was there. And it, like you said, it's only a handful of codes, but they keep coming and every day. they have to come in and every day. But the big thing with the radiation oncology is like the setup is the work and then they come in every day and get it and then they get then they look at it and then the radiation oncologist kind of looks at it and says yep it's working or nope we got to updo da, 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 and they make the changes there um then and there uh so there's a lot of there's imrt vmat igft they, they got every acronym that you could possibly think <laughs> i about know right yeah that you ever wanted to know about that's just for one machine and then there's another machine that goes x y da, da 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 and then there's there's radio pharmaceuticals where they inject a thing in your body. And so now you're radioactive, which is even awesomer. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And that's like the new, the newest and coolest thing, I guess, happening in the world of oncology is this radio pharmaceuticals, because with those, they, um, especially breast cancer, you, there, there are these new treatments that they're targeting and this, this, this um, radio pharmaceutical, like I said, you're you're it's an it's you have to keep it separate. You have, there's like a whole thing that you have to you have to do, but they get to this injection It really targets that cancer. It's a new it's a new form of um, treating cancer, which is kind of it's just cool because anytime they come with with oncology, it's ever changing. As Soon as you think you know how it's going to be done, they're going to change it and they're going to give you something new. And so that's the and before every different cancer that's out there, and that's the good thing.
1: Absolutely. And you know, recently, you know, I had the opportunity to help um, coordinate an, uh, an audit for a client for infusions. And one of the things I just was over my head because I don't do this every day. And so our team that I had to coordinate for this audit, I had to make sure, okay, like these are the client ones. Can you handle this? And <laughs> so it was the drugs, like just going through and seeing how many drugs are billed on an infusion audit, um, or just on an infusion bill or claim. And I remember years ago when I was just starting out, I was filling in for a girl in charge entry and she billed for this huge oncology practice and that's all she did all day. And I was just basically building what the physician said. That's all I was tasked to do, but I couldn't believe how many J-codes <laughs> I had to so put out that thing. Right, exactly. So with that challenge, you know, with, with the, with that's of course the course of the medoc side, those infusions and and billing those, what are some of the challenges? Just getting things organized as a coder and even a biller. I don't like separating those rules, by the way, in some some areas. Like, it it drives me nuts because I feel like in some specialties, the biller has to know a little bit of coding to a certain extent and then vice versa, right? So what are some of the the things that you should know when you're getting ready to bill for um, infusion?
0: Yeah. So MedOx is definitely my baby because I, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's something that I've been doing for years now. And, and there is, it's really important before you even go into this understanding how does a drug even become the drug that gets, gives a patient, you know, how does it even go there? They really, you know, there's, there's so much data and so much information out there. Um, um, and like, like I said, I'm giving a presentation on it. This is, you know, specifically on drug, just because there's just, People don't know. They don't understand how it. How does it go from experimental to actually give it to the patient? Um, and so some of the some of the issues that I know that we've had over the, with so. many... You've got to have the resources. You've got to know, you have got to understand the the hierarchy of the drug. You got to know what place of service you're in uh, and what what to code it as because every place of service has different admin codes um, where you know you might code it this way, if you're inpatient, you might code it this way, if you're outpatient, and if you're independent facility, code it this way. So it's really important to know um, when you're like, and I think that's the hardest part um, and why people are, kind of shine away and they don't want to learn oncology because they think it's complicated it really isn't complicated you just gotta you just gotta understand the guidelines and got to understand the ins and outs of the drug and how that even becomes and where to go and if you have all the if you have the tools and resources you can learn it and in our company um we one of the things that you know when i when we when we hire somebody new I'd rather them not have a lot of experience because I can train them the way I want to them to be trained. Right. And understand that this is, how, you know, so they're learning everything fresh and then they might go and have their get their certification in oncology, hematology, you know, because that's that's important to have once you've been coding it for a while, um, because it, it just validates your um that you know that what you know. So going in with billing, you know, why why is it why is the coding and the billing part of it? Yeah, you need to know where how it becomes a drug. You need to understand the waste, um, because that's a big thing. That is such a big targeted issue with racks nowadays, with the single dose files and when do you bill waste? When can you not bill waste? Understanding how to even read a medication administration record. Those are your Mars. That's where the nurse charts mm-hmm. on how, how do how long is that patient had that drug get, get infused? Understanding how it's going in there. Is it going in their arm? Is it going in their port? Where is it going in their body? Is it going through their back? Um, there's an oh my, a reservoir in the back of their head. They can have it in there. There's so many different things that you can, you know, have them intrathecally. So it's important to understand what do they, those mean, okay, and and how is that patient getting that drug in their body? Absolutely. Um, then there's the whole loveliness about <laughs> clear bagging, white bagging, brown bagging. Oh, um, my God which which you know if you if you've never heard that before um it basically it's different ways that um payers are trying to get around certain things so clear bagging is when when a patient let's say they there's a couple different ways obviously your med person could order the drug that's what most people do you you get your drug they're going to order it they're going to supply it but some um some insurances say we want that we want to send you we're going to go through because we can get a better price we're going to send you it and that's called white bagging um some want you to go through your pharmacy benefits so that's called clear bagging and brown bagging which is a no 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 don't ever do uh is when a patient brings it in because you don't again you don't want somebody to brown bag that but it's important that as a biller or coder that you're you have somebody that's knowledgeable about this and that's not happening that's not those things are not happening on the pharmacy side and you want to make sure that that you're you have that conversation yet you have that open conversation with your pharmacist and you know that when they're dispensing these drugs it is coming from your own supply and these other things aren't happening um unclassified drugs is another lovely challenge that we've that i think both ar team and the charge entry team uh both both deal with because one the charge entry has to make sure they they put the information in the electric electronic loop and segments that this was an unclassified drug and here's the invoice and here's the NDC and here's how it's built and they go and they bill it out. And then on the AR side they get it and they deny it of course or they want medical records or they want this or that. Um, and so you have to send them invoices and everything for these drugs that are unclassified. And why are these drugs unclassified? These are just new drugs. They just they're just new to the market. They're FDA approved. They went through all the rigmarole of getting an FDA approved. They just this is the first time they're given to a patient and and uh, now that it's approved for this, like lung cancer or this particular cancer, um, they uh, it's fresh, it's new, it doesn't have a code, um, but a lot of insurance companies balk at it. So then you then you got to deal with that, and that's been a frustration I think for a lot of us that do you know because we want to give that patient the very very newest and the greatest and the best out there, and we don't want to be um, we don't want to be using a drug where we if we have a new drug on the market we want to use that one. So so I think that's that's important to know has the payer even loaded in their system yet um you always have to look to see it uh because they're going to release those HEC, you know the HEC books new codes and you've got to keep looking to make sure that it has it doesn't have a J code yet or you know it's a, it doesn't have a Q code or whatever it's going to have another big issue is admin codes and do you are you should you be billing with it because again these on these complex drugs there's the chemotherapy admin or complex drug biological admin which is your 96413 infusion code. Do you bill that or are you billing the therapeutic one? And some ins- some payers tell you you cannot you cannot bill even though that's a complex drug, you can only bill this therapeutic. You can't bill the c- highly complex biologic drug infusion code. And same for injections. Um, they'll say you can't code it as a 96401, which is your is your infusion your, your I'm sorry, your injection, your hormonal injection code and they'll say no, we want a therapeutic injection. That's what you got to do. So you've got to know policies, and so I think that's one of the hardest things with billing, because you not only have to know how to bill it, but you also need to know every payer policy out there, because they have their own way of telling you how they want it done. And oh, absolutely. So that's 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 some of the some of the hard parts of it, and you know, and just keeping up with the changes, because like I said, indication indications and usages of drugs change daily. Um, they can get approved. FDA approves things all the time. They're all constantly approved. Stuff. So if you don't go check your uh, package insert or your NCCN guidelines, uh, the if you don't go look at those and know that that's appropriate, um, and this is the diagnosis is appropriate, um, then you could potentially, you know, not be billing it correctly, or you could be, um, and sometimes I have to inform the payer of
1: their changes, and that's, that's always fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. There's so many levels, right? And so this is one of my things since I've been in the industry 20 years, just 20 plus, like trying to like figure out, okay, I've seen this, I've seen this process error, I have uh, been tasked to try to improve processes in my in my career. And so that's what I've been kind of making notes on and just kind of, you know, challenging myself to constantly improve. And so now, in my role, that's what I'm doing and trying to see what clinics out there facilities providers, you know, do they do they need this assistance? Because there are so many, I've worked for places where you have coding separated from the billing, Mm-hmm. And some of these, you know, outsourced companies, they actually will um, separate that and th- they may have processes in place that work for them. But for some specialties, it's so important that there's cross training, at least, you know, if you're going to have someone just code the chart. Right. They have to have access, like you mentioned, to the Mars summary. They have to have all of that information for for the for the infusion side and the surgical side and all whatever they're doing. Right. So they have to have access to, to that information to code it appropriately. But are those coders trained enough to know that their job is also <laughs> to make sure that they, when they put that code on there, they have the right modifier on there if needed? Do they understand the payer guidelines on those codes? That's my biggest pet peeve, right? Is like you code it, but you just completely ignored Medicare. They don't accept that. You completely ignored this insurance. They don't want it that way. And you right. don't know that payers have their own modifiers, right?
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, I want this and that, and that's why those claim scrubbers are really important to to build in their into your systems. If you to catch those kind of things, so that if your coder missed it, that you know Medicare will you know for these drugs, Medicare will never want these this admin code. So if it gets built together, uh, then it needs to kick back to somebody to review. We have it in our system um, that the AR and the charge team worked really um, close together, um, but. If there's anything that denies from the payer that's modifier or based upon the admin, because there obviously you know there's there's certain um there's certain diagnosis codes, not diagnosis codes, the contractual um, adjustment codes and and um the denial codes that are specific to um these those modifier no modifier or needs it needs a different admin code so we send those back to charge to review so not only are they educating themselves if that particular payer is requesting that but they're also educating the rest of the staff so that they you know because again if you don't if you don't if you don't communicate it doesn't get
1: changed and you, you have that continual issues Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing that I work on too. Like with our clients, we like to have a really good communication and good relationship. So we want you to know like we have a team in place. We have people that do different tasks. So we're going to let you know ahead of time, this is your main contact person. If you have an issue, please let us know. And it's so easy to be efficient, even on if you're outsourcing, like if your company is being outsourced to help with the practice that you can make it successful, as long as you understand all the pieces. And I do see some companies out there, unfortunately, that just don't know everything about that specialty and they take on this task. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes this huge mess, right? Because they don't know that specialty,
0: right? And my like one of the biggest um, problems is like the CO197, which is if if you don't know that, that means you know they, there's no prior off. <laughs> so that that's basically now that could mean anything. That's what you get for a denial, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's no prior off. It just could mean a hundred other things. So again with something as simple denial as no prior auth, you have to do your due diligence to look and see, is it because the authorization was truly, there was no prior auth? Was there an authorization? Was it applied to that correct drug? Because perhaps the authorization went to a different drug drug code, because that's happened before that they switched our our drugs from um, J codes to S codes. And I'm like, we're not outpatient facility. Can you not do that? And um, so, you know, that's that's important to always review the authorization that you get back approved authorization and actually make sure did they approve it for the right J code units they might only gave you 10 units you requested 20 That's could be that's an issue so that all those are all different ways that it's not necessarily that there was no auth on file and, and the authorization departments to blame it that they have they need to look at all those different steps did it get it is it attached is it for the units is it an MUE issue that they will not, you know, just because you have the authorization for 30 units, do they actually pay 30 units? Will they actually pay 30 units? doesn't mean I find that happens all the time because half these places have third-party authorization departments, and then they don't talk back to the payer, and we have that particular issue. So, yeah, something as simple
1: Absolutely. as that. <laughs> Absolutely. And prior authorizations, oh, my goodness, are so huge. Like, when you look at the data out there, and I've done research on this, different facilities, like, on average, what I've calculated for some facilities is they – They end up writing off, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. If you talk about a big hospital facility, like, they're putting those patients in and out, in and out, in and out. And they don't have time, maybe sometimes, they think they don't have time (laughs) to do this. And it's hundreds of thousands of dollars written off for authorization errors. So many, right? Yes. And then there are some tasks that I've learned over the years that can be completely automated. And I feel like there's, and we have a software out there that we, that we sell that's for prior authorization tools for oncology specifically, because a lot of those things can be super streamlined, can be super automated. So you can focus on the important tasks, getting organized, right? Like making Mm -hmm. sure you have this in place. So, you know, this is happening. This is my next task. I have to get this done. This is coming up due this this authorization or this follow up on this authorization, like notifying you. You have to fix this now before it becomes a problem. And so many people are still doing things manually. It's <laughs> just oh, like yeah.
0: it is. It is, and even and the problem. Uh, the other side of things is that you know, let's say they move a treatment up, they change the treatment on you. So you had the you had it to look at in so many days, and then they moved it up, and now it's it's. They gave it a day earlier than they should have. And they're going to deny it for that reason because they, you know, so it's just being making sure everybody in the team knows um, how it affects everyone, that you need an authorization on that data service and making sure that if it's your financial advocate team, uh, whoever whoever's reviewing that is is communicating that information correctly. Um, but you definitely using a tool is the way to go. You have to use something. You have to be able to track that. One of the other big issues is just them paying underpaying and underpaying. Like they'll they it at one unit and it was 180 units, <laughs> and you sit there and that's and it's they paid you uh, ten dollars and it was supposed to be you know twenty thousand dollars. You know that, that's been an issue. But if you if you're a large facility and you're not paying attention to that has lost, lost revenue. And if you don't, you only have like a little short window where you can appeal or send it back or, or have, or call somebody. And if you don't, if you miss that window, you're out of luck.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen this in the industry or even on LinkedIn, different, different places. I've seen this, you know, kind of talk about these different payment models and I've seen physicians talk about not even just in oncology, other specialties, Just talk about going to direct care. And I I personally feel like that can benefit some specialties. But I also feel that there are some specialties where insurance is just not going to go away. Like, I feel like there's, I know physicians out there, they're tired and they're frustrated with the insurance system. Although the the hoops they have to jump through, right, to get things paid. Maybe some facilities think, okay, I'm going to cut my coding staff to save money. But is that really the right decision? Are there other areas of waste that are in the facility that can be cut to save the coding and billing staff, or at least be more efficient in it, right? Like, do you need 10 coders or do you only need like maybe one or two well-trained ones? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's definitely, I, you, that's, that's a hard, you know, line, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they want to save money, but the other is you need to have these people in place so that they can, so you can keep all the money that, <laughs> that you're, you're billing for. And that's the big thing, you know, that, I, I am a fan of making sure we have, you have enough people. I mean, they say, I think they say that you need about three to one for, for a physician per physician. So if you think of that, that's a, you know, somebody that's AR staff, charge entry staff and a PA staff, you know, just, just in the billing side of things like Mm -hmm. looking at that Um, that doesn't happen in any life. I know, but (laughs) we have the three to one ratio per provider, but you know, it's, so you think about that, obviously, your your team has got to absorb all of that extra work. There, There's a, definitely a, you need to have those um, experienced coders, uh, because one, it d- will make it efficient. If you have systems in place where your particular EMR will drop the appropriate codes, it's not 100% perfect. So mm-hmm. that's why you need to have that coder there. Okay, so you might have a computer-assisted coding software through your EMR that gives you, these are the codes that we think, but you've got to, there's, there's a whole other piece of it. It's not just about the admin code, but you will have to check the admin code per payer guidelines. You'll have to check the modifiers. You have to check the sequence of diagnoses. You have to look to see how the diagnoses appropriately um, put on there for those drugs for those particular diagnoses, each drug has specific diagnoses, you know, they, you know, this is used for this bone mets and this, you know, this drug's used for, for this reason. And so you have to make sure that that diagnosis is on there and it's appropriately documented, um, which I do, I ha I do hear the physicians, you know, there is that they do a lot of peer to peer. I think the payers are, there's been a lot of issues with them completely, you know, they, they you know, that sometimes the payers think they know better. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> And and I hate to say that, um, but that it's that's a frustration, you know. That, and because the provider's like, no, 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 this is the best drug for this patient, um, you know. And if it's anywhere, you know, because let's say there are eighty-two year old patient, they're not going to give them this this particular um, drug. That's that's you have to because some of these some of these therapies are there's first line therapies, there's second line therapies. Um, so let's say you have an eighty-two year old patient, they're not going to give them this drug that could possibly it's toxic to them. Like it's toxic mm-hmm. for uh, to their kidneys and things like that, right. just ca- causing them more issues than that. So they want to give them the next thing as if they already had that because this is this is worse for them. But trying to get that to go through a payer that I'm not going to give them this really toxic drug just because that's the first line therapy. I understand it's the first line therapy, but this patient would be better suited taking this other drug. Um, that's actually you know it's 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 on label for that, you know, particular drug for that particular, um, diagnosis. But it's just sad that, you know, we have to have that fight all the time. And the doctors are continually those peer to peers and talking to their, at the, at the payers, um, at each payer and saying, yeah, I need to give this drug. And, um, and it's really, it's unfortunate for the patients, you know, in their care. And, and so we're always looking at, is Can we give them free drug? We're going back to the, you know, a lot of times we go back to the pharmacy um, companies and asking them, you know, because they, a lot of the pharmacy companies, they're going to help you to at least trying to navigate um, if you can't, if you catch it at, at, and before the patient gets the drug, um, they have a lot of times with the pharmacy companies, they have ways that you can put through and say, well, if this doesn't pay, if 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 the insurance doesn't approve this, um, they'll, they'll provide either free drug or they'll, they'll reimburse you on the drug. And, uh, so a lot of people are using that nowadays because it's, you know, so that we could end up giving the drug to patient and, um, because that's important, you know, the, the, the it's important to follow obviously protocol, but it's also important to give the patient the best treatment.
1: Absolutely. And so having, you know, teams in place that um, know all these things and can be the patient advocate, so to speak, and, you know, they get caught in the middle sometimes, but we need to make sure that the staff is like up to speed, they know exactly what to do to help that patient, because they are the reason that we're here, right? I mean, like, we're here for patient care, right? I don't know if you've heard of the, of the uh, Healthcare Advocacy Summit, they, they started last year, it's coming back this year, and so I'll be going to New Orleans this year to speak at that conference, but I just love it because, when I learned that there was this whole network of, of people out there with pharmacology or the pharma and like providers and patient advocates out there trying to help the industry help patients. And it was just a, a great thing to learn that this is a thing. So I'm, I'm excited to, to see how that goes. Um, but again, I mentioned the payment models and like it's just there's so many changes in the industry. Many of that happened even since the pandemic. So I just really want your thoughts, like, what do you think the industry is heading? Like, what do you think about these models, like how they can improve healthcare?
0: Yeah, so we uh, we participated with the Come Home Project, which is the very first project um, in with with Medicare and like ch- just trying to reduce costs. And that's what the, this is all about, reducing costs um, for the industry. And then we that kind of transitioned to the OCM, which is the oncology care model. So that one that, and then we we participated in that until it became a two-sided risk, which or one-sided risk was yeah, it it became a problem. So we we jump ship on that particular one. Um, I think it was it was a good thought, but the execution was um, not so great. I mean, it, it it had good moments of it, but. The problem, like I said, is the new drug comes to market, um, you know, and we want to give that drug and that novel therapy that it was, you know, there's there's only that drug. There's not a way to really reduce cost or efficiency at that point. It's it's we want to provide that drug and they would ding us on those kind of things. And I'm like, but we <laughs> we should be giving these new drugs so that. So, again, I, I, I did not like that particular their methodology. Let's just put it that way. When I when I dug into the um the calculations and how they did they calculated stuff but I, I thought it was it was it was great for a practice that didn't participate them come home and was and was really wanting to reduce their costs and was starting afresh it was great but for somebody in our in our practice um we we had already done all that we were reduced our costs so mm-hmm. there wasn't that much of a savings for for us and we were already working pretty efficiently. Right. Um so it didn't help it didn't help us move the needle, let's just put that way. Right. Um it opened up to different uh procedures and things and that, you know, that we could do better and things that we mm-hmm. we um put in place, but it didn't really uh cause the needle to move that said, wow, look at all of this cost savings that we did because of um our participation in OCM. Um with advanced, you know, care point plan- you know, the the whole the, there was a lot of different things within it that that um, I think made a better patient, um, like it's better for the patient, like they would they better the experience they, for them, yeah. Trans- yeah, better experience for them. But, but you know, as far as like, because they they asked us to you know make sure that we gave them, uh, which is kind of funny, kind of pulls back into the No surprise Billing Act. But um, like we had to give them estimations on how much their cost. Now it's not it, a lot of it will go. It's obviously Medicare. They probably they will never probably see that cost, but they needed to know this is how much your treatment's going to cost. And this is how, you know, so the transparency, I guess um, that was some of the good, the care plans that were put in place, the checking to see, um, you know, advanced care planning, if they wanted to uh, again, you know, what should it, they be moving more to a palliative care versus a, you know, curative care, what, you know, those kind of evaluations just brought that more into light um, the radiation oncology model. I, I know it's, it's, it's it's i we don't have to participate in with it but um right. but i do know that it there's a lot of you know it depends on your location it depends on if you have this you know the the, the access to care i um with these i mean i i think they're they're all moving towards value basement you know value based care and i think really that's where we're going um they want to pay they want to pay you a lump sum. And then you figure out how you're gonna, you know, here's here's you've got a patient that presents with this cancer, and here's your lump sum for that cancer, and you just you have to figure out how to how to treat surgically, uh, radiate it, and you know chemotherapy it, <laughs> right? All all within that that money that we give you, and I just I don't know how they can do that unless you were, yeah. I I just don't think it's possible because treatments change constantly, and um for every patient. It doesn't matter if it's a Medicare patient or a, you know, an anthem patient. You know, I just don't think it's I think we're definitely moving there, but I think they've got a way to
1: go. (laughs) A lot of things (laughs) out, right? I mean, obviously it didn't happen when we thought it was gonna happen. (laughs) So so it's definitely with anything that they, they bring about, like there's always going to be questions, right? Like, okay, well if this happens, what do we do? Or if this happens, what do we do? So all of those variables with any kind of new new structure are going to be needed to answered, right? So that's I I totally agree with you, and I I think that's just the conversation that we just need to keep having. Like just keep talking about it, and just you know when they ask for you know subject matter experts to say, hey, this is what we think, you know. <laughs> We're gonna give that information. Um, but anyway, so oh my goodness, Stephanie, we had such a great conversation today, and I'm so glad we got to get together. And uh, I wish we were gonna see together in person at, in DC. But I know I, of course, personally, am going to be checking into Stephanie's presentation on oncology. So if yeah. you are in oncology or you want to be in oncology and you're going to HealthCon. I really recommend signing up for Stephanie's presentation. I will be there. (laughs) And uh, if you're interested in wound care and lesions and excisions, I'll be speaking in session 2A. So check me out um, for that if you're interested uh, any listeners out there. Well, thank you, Stephanie. And for those of us who are interested in learning more about you and what you do and, and your consulting, where can we find you?
0: Yeah. So find me on LinkedIn and definitely send me a message. I love, uh, like I said, I love just learning new stuff and, and reaching out. I certainly I've been doing this for 20 plus years. It doesn't mean I know everything, but I certainly, I do my due diligence and I research and that, you know, being a coder, you've got to research, you've got to do your own work. You've got to take, take it and, uh, and make sure you, you follow through, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing with, with oncology is that if you can, if you can get the tools necessary, Um, by, again, talking to somebody that's been there and done that (laughs) Um, and that that's gone through this. And Teach yourself. You can. You can learn so much. And I hate to say this, but you can learn so much. You can from the internet. But you can, really can. You Just can. going on to some of the CMS.gov websites or OIG websites or learning at, or NCCM websites or um, even the pharmaceutical companies' websites are really helpful when you're trying to understand how does this drug happen. You know the, the FDA websites. All these websites are out there that have all these great facts, as FAQs, and. And, um and that's, to be honest, that's where I found a lot of my information as I was learning and growing, because I didn't have anybody that I could really look to and talk to. So I had to go figure it out. And then network, 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 you know, that's what you got to do. You've got to network, you've got to meet other people that are in your oncology world, and that touch that stuff that you do. And read and ask those questions and and uh, like I said, LinkedIn is is a great place to find me. Um, and please, uh, you know, send me a re- send me a friend request, you know, on there and and I, <laughs> yeah. happy, I'm happy or linked request, whatever they're calling it now. I don't know what yeah. they
1: calling it <laughs> <Connection>, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: whatever that is. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to talk more about it. And I do have my own consulting uh, firm as well that I do on the side to to help um, educate. And that's what Jennifer is talking about. Education is key. You know, we all need to educate each other. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. And we will put her information in our show notes and we will, of course, uh, look forward to um, seeing more from Stephanie um, as she continues to uh, to reach out and, and share her education with us. Great.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for joining the Life as a Coder podcast. Please feel free to rate or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other healthcare professionals just like you. Join us next Wednesday for another episode. We'll catch you then.
2: The team at OncoSpark offers a unique opportunity to grow your career in the business of medicine through their virtual specialty conference series. The reality of attending conferences in person is constantly changing. We give you the opportunity to learn virtually from industry leaders in top specialties, such as obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, cardiology, oncology, and orthopedics. We present timely industry topics to help you navigate regulatory guidelines, best practices in coding, billing, and practice management from the experts in the field. Whether you are interested in becoming the go-to expert in your field, provide additional knowledge for your education program, or you're ready to dive into other specialties, we have you covered. We hope to see you at our 2022 events.